Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach. And I am here with yet another High Demand Coach, and that is Paul Teasdale. He helps people perform using insights from his seven years of working with the Formula One team McLaren, whilst also incorporating lessons from other high-performance organizations that he has worked with, from sausage making to banking to Formula One and lots of other stuff in between, working both in the UK and in New Zealand, Paul has plenty of stories to tell and lessons to share. He helps his clients bring an F1 performance mindset to their organization. And I have to admit, Paul, I, I totally nerded out when I saw that you had worked with uh, with the McLaren organization. I think we may have even chatted about this a little bit before, yeah, but <laughs> uh, it's this tough time to be anyone but Red Bull at the, the time of this <laughs> recording here. So I'm a big Formula One fan. Uh, I'd love to see the sport become a little bit more competitive, but I'm so excited to see what that has to do with business and, and for you to tie those two together for us. But before we get to all of that, I'd love to take just a big step back and hear yep. you know about your time there maybe, but what were you doing before getting into coaching and how did that lead you to make the leap? Uh, well, as you say, I've had a, um, a an amazingly varied and interesting career as a, I've taken the opportunities to come to me. Um, I started off repairing and overhauling aeroplane engine parts um, as my first job out of university, I'm an engineer by trade and by training, uh, manufacturing engineering in particular, and those methodologies of performance improvement is what I've taken throughout my career. Uh, but I've taken opportunities that have come my way. I had a great time working with Kerry Foods, making sausages. I was a production manager, a sausage factory, getting to work with people across different shifts, different uh, cultures and environments, working with those big teams to to actually make stuff happen on a day-to-day -day basis. And I love those uh, those lessons that I've learned from from that space. Um, and then I took sort of various different opportunities that came my way, um, essentially as a consultant, either as an internal role, or I spent about five years working as a, a performance improvement consultant, primarily in the food manufacturing business, uh, but with a little bit of variation in between that. Um, and did that for about five years, living on the road, decided to take a, a bit of a career shift or a, and a life shift, really. Um, the wife and I, who were just married about a year at that point, decided we're going to move out of London, all the hustle and bustle that was happening there. And we looked at the obvious places around the UK and Birmingham and Manchester and Oxford, and we settled on New Zealand. Um, so <laughs> it was one of those opportunities that come your way. You, you start to investigate it, and it's, it's before you know it, the ball's rolling and you're going along with it. So I took a, a, a great role in a very large um, business over there, largest business in New Zealand at the time, 
um, the big dairy uh, giant Fonterra, working with their leadership teams to help facilitate improvements in their internal teams, particularly around how they optimize their milk. So if you think about you make you're making a decision as to what to make with all this milk that's in front of you, you know if you just make milk powder, you miss out on opportunities in cheese and whey powders and all sorts. So there's lots of different balancing equations to uh, to work out the the best fit. And really working with some amazing people in that role, um, got made redundant uh, unexpectedly when the wife was I think eight months pregnant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so as you do, you uh, you drown your sorrows for a, a day, and then got back into it and said, right, what am I going to do with this? What I'm going to how I'm going to move forward with what I'm doing? And it was at this point that I started to really get my coaching experience from uh, from being a coachee and seeing and feeling the value of, of coaching and that front. Because had an amazing coach who I'm still in contact with today, who helped me to realise that this is an opportunity to go beyond what you've done before and open the mind up and made the non-obvious move into banking. So I had an opportunity to work in a business banking team out in New Zealand and did that for a number of years. Before we decided to move back to the UK, uh, family reasons, were, at this point we had a little Kiwi boy in, in tow with us and, uh, and thought, right, we're going to move back to the UK, but only for an exciting opportunity and something that's really going to move the career forward. I happen to know quite a few people one of whom uh, was working and still does work for McLaren in the world of simulation, setting up and running their simulators over there. And uh, and as I reached out to the wider network, as I always encourage people to do, it's like, oh, I think we might have a role that might suit you. Let me introduce you to someone else. You know, and jumped on a plane. Actually, I did, I decided it was too risky to to do this just from uh, phone interviews at 11, 12 o'clock at night. I was like, if I'm going to be serious about this, I'm going to jump on a plane and, and go over the other side of the world. And wow. it paid off and had the opportunity to work with McLaren. And I spent about six or seven years working with them, taking their ways of working and some of their technologies out to wider organizations. So helping people with their challenges and their opportunities that they had and coaching their teams to how do you get a high performance mindset active in your organization. And that's what I do today. I've, I've gone, now gone fully independent and take that approach and all those lessons from everything from sausage making to F1 and help people apply those lessons for themselves. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, one of the uh, the kind of, I don't know if this is a, a, a not great secret, but some of the worst run businesses, if I could say that, it's a little mean, but some of the worst run businesses are businesses that focus on leadership, right? Uh, and it's just this total conundrum uh, but you see this kind of weird dichotomy happen. It always uh, left me kind of wondering where do where does Formula One as a, or McLaren as a team, how did they function as a business? Would you say compared to your other spheres that they that they were a very well run business, or does that performance mindset on the track distract from performance as a business unit? Um, it's a double edged sword. It can go both ways, and and it's that's the art of of dealing with particularly that any high performance team, any high performance environment. You've got to be aware of when that becomes negative. Mm. I think if you looked historically at Formula One in general, and maybe at McLaren specifically, um, up until the time where Zach Brown came along as the CEO, it was very personality driven, and uh, you know Ron Dennis did some amazing things bringing that company together. But he was a huge personality leader. 
And that had some huge advantages for the organization, but some disadvantages as well. Mm. And what I see happening in the space is that um, the likes of, of Zach Brown and, and the like have come in and recognized that it's, you know, there is value in all sorts of different things outside of the business. Um, a big part of what I was working, I worked in a part called McLaren Applied Technologies. And that was interesting because it had come about as a, when we don't win on track, we've got no money coming in, essentially. It's a, a marketing business with a Formula One team attached, essentially. Right. Right. And and so, you know, when that Formula One team isn't doing well, how do we bring in money? How do we diversify? Um, and that was about taking those technologies and approaches and say, right, people can buy this as a service. And so that mindset of going, what else can we do? How do we balance this? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, there are many aspects of it being a, a fantastic business. Uh, there's some great lessons that you can learn. Um, and I think like with a lot of high performance businesses and lots of businesses that are doing really well, you might even look at the likes of Apple and and, and the likes, you go, right, they're doing excessively well. How can we learn from them? Well, it's not always going to apply to you. And there are certain aspects of what they do that would be considered negative in a lot of contexts, maybe even within the organization. Wow. And you've got to keep on working on that uh, for the team and for the yeah. uh, for the organization as a whole. Yeah, this idea of applied technologies, the first time I remember hearing about it was actually from Williams uh, F1 Racing, and they were going into ERs. And they were actually you know, uh, you know, high-speed cameras and counting the number of movements for an ER team in this triage setting. And it was like, stunning to me, right? Totally fascinating. So uh, most of our folks here, they're, they're not running ERs. So how do we start to take some of this, this high-performance culture, these lessons, maybe even these processes from the world of F1 and actually implement them in our business? Well, that's, that's my job and my passion, I guess, is to help people be, make high performance accessible to them and to make them realize that actually there are frameworks to, to follow and things that you can look at. One of the main challenges that I help people with is, uh, I don't know if you've come across this term before or not, but infobesity. <laughs> so it's a, <laughs> that, that element of over-consuming data yeah. to such an extent that it has a negative impact on performance. Mm. Um, and people are struggling with this. They're drowning in more and more reports and things coming at them that in theory should help them make better decisions. And actually lessons from the world of F1 say that, yes, you can get more and more data, but it comes at a cost. In the F1 world, that cost is a sensor that goes on a car for, to, to get that data together. Right. That adds weight to the car, has a negative performance on the, the actual uh, thing that you're trying to do <laughs> with that car. And so it can be counterproductive. So that your, all of your data has to have a return on investment. And I uh, developed a framework off the back of my learnings there called, uh, called Rapid Performance mm -hmm. that helps put data last for data-informed decisions. And you can make better data-informed decisions by focusing firstly on results, understanding the actions, the people, the insights, and then finally, what's the smallest possible data set I need? Yeah. And that, I think, is if you start to bring things up to a level of this is the approach, this is the mindset, this is the ways of working, then those can always be applied, understood, amended if needs be. So you you adapt before you adopt. That's another thing I often encourage yeah. people to do is, yeah. uh, is make sure that you understand what's applicable to you and why, and then adapt it for your needs before you adopt it and make it work for you. That's so, that's so wise. 
So it's an interesting thing. And at Scale Architects, we kind of break the world into different stages, right? And you have the kind of young entrepreneurial growing organizations, and then you have kind of the larger, more established, uh, you know, in, uh, industry giants, if you will, and kind of the whole spectrum in between. But uh, a very interesting thing that happens across that spectrum is some are under data driven, right? They're going by the yeah. founder's golden gut, you know, it's yeah. just whatever their intuition <laughs> says, you know, uh, we live and die by, I just know. Uh, yeah. And and so I think what a lot of folks don't recognize uh, on this idea of infobesity is that it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It has its roots in a really, really important function. And I don't hear you saying we don't need any data. Oh, I heard you yeah. saying, what's the smallest data set we need? But uh, the the tension on that is so sharp because there's there's too little data, right? Where, where we're not getting the, the minimum that we need. And then there's too much. And one of the things about the sports world that we don't always have in the business world is a, a, a tangible cost, right? That sensor weighs something. It costs something, and and we kind of we can almost measure the cost of that a, a little bit more tangibly. So, how do you help people navigate measuring the cost of that data uh, acquisition and consumption for their business? I mean, it is a it is a tough one because one of the key things that I help people with is um, cognitive load. You know, it's a difficult thing to put a metric on because it's so different from person to person. But the more data and the more information you put on people, you're adding cognitive load. Now, if that then leads to better decisions and helps people make decisions, then it's brilliant. But it's when it gets that tipping point that it, it becomes a, a problem. And that's a yeah. really tough thing to, to manage. Um, but it is, uh, there's a lot about understanding. If you can understand the results you're trying to drive really in the first place, and not just, you know, I want a profit, I want growth of sales and or whatever. Those are important and they're important to have. But what's the wider context? What are the the ands? So the strategic objectives or the regulatory framework you're working with. So if, you know, F1 is simple world where, you know, I want to win the race. Well, I want to win the race and have good fan engagement and focus on uh, sustainability because that's really important to our organization. And it has to be within the regulations. So once you start to bring those things in play, you can start to say, right, how do I make this happen and that and that? Um, yeah. And then if you truly understand those results, it becomes a, a an easier game to play. In the, If I want this for, if, if I can see the line of sight between getting this data, and ultimately data doesn't cost a lot in organizations typically. Where it does tend to cost a lot is if you're implementing new systems or bringing new things in play. And I've worked with businesses that have been investing tens of millions of euros in this case um, to get more data, only to get to the end of it and go, oh, I don't really know what to do with it now. Well, And so if you'd have taken a different approach and understood the results and how it all fits in and what insights your people need, and I think that insights is a really critical word there, mm. then you can establish, actually, I only need 20% of that data that this big, big system can give me. Maybe I can get away with investing, at least initially, in a smaller version of it. Or I can you know, build something that is more agile and can scale up a, at a later stage. Yeah. Um, Man, so. Paul, I, I really, really like this because I, it captures, again, it captures that tension so well. And you, you generally have kind of two groups of people. You have the ones that like, you know, the data never lies, you know, the data, 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 and you can never have enough data. And then you have this other group that's like, 
they can't even spell data. It's like, why do we, you know, let alone wait for it. So uh, I love the way that you've captured this and, and that starting with results is so helpful, not just because it leads us to what the, the, the straightest line is to those, to the data that we need, but also because it helps people who aren't as data oriented to get in, in uh, to buy into the process. Yeah. Right. And and not just be frustrated by those, you know, those couple of people who want data on everything. So how have you found um, different teams responding to this? Do you find some people in a team want more data than others? And how do you help them reconcile that? Um, a lot of it is, I mean, the, the general coaching approach is what, you know, what helps people to understand how mu much value is this for them in the circumstance they're in right now. And you may well get people who think they want more and more data. And your job as a coach is to challenge that. It's not to say, no, you don't need it. You know, you need less or anything like that. Who am I to say that? I'm not in that role. I'm not you managing your your job right now. What I can do as a coach is to challenge that thinking and make you step back and go, do I really need this? Why am, why am I thinking that I need this? Is it just a comfort blanket? Does it have a direct line of sight to the performance I'm trying to drive? Is it yeah. for me that I want this or is it for the team? Is it for the organization? Because if it's just for me, then is that, is that really the right thing to do? And so that's the, um, the dichotomy is that people will, some people, as you say, will try to shy away from the data and you've got to challenge them a bit more on, you know, are you really, you've got some amazing insights coming at you, but you're making decisions that are against that. Now that's a, a you know, you see that in a lot in, in F1. If you had people purely going on data, and I think um, there was a time when Mercedes tried this with their pit stop strategy. They said would essentially automate the uh, the decision as to when to pit. Mm. Now that is great because it takes away a lot of thinking from a lot of people and a lot of uh, stress. What it does remove is the situational awareness and the the smarts that people have that you will never be able to build into a system um, where you, we, you've got people who are on the on track side and you can say, right, oh, the rain's going to stop really soon. I'm looking at the, all the data says the rain's about to stop and I'm standing track side and I'm going, you know, <laughs> it's bucketing down here. I'm, I'm soaked through. It might have stopped two miles away where your uh, weather sensors are, but it hasn't stopped here. So right. that gives that situational awareness to say, yes, the data says that, but I'm going to add on my smarts to this. Yeah. That's where I, I like the way in which if you do this properly and you do it well, you change the question from what's the decision that I need to make almost to why shouldn't I make this decision that the data is pointing me towards. Wow. And that enables people to go back and have more power by challenging it and saying, yeah, I know it says we should uh, put all our effort into sales in the Northwest region, but actually you're not aware of a you know a holiday that's happening there and some some politics that's going on that's actually going to have an impact and we really need to go southeast yeah. you know that's where the yeah. the magic is and yeah. so yeah it, it changes the question and it changes the approach to uh, to informed decisions yeah that's so so good uh, there's a saying uh, that I use every once in a while is that the numbers don't lie but they also don't tell the truth you, and and so <laughs> I, I love how you've tied these together so just for folks listening rapid is his framework and it's results action people insights and data and you yep. you, you got insights and data right next to each other and and mm. 
again, there's, there's just so much wisdom in that. And I love seeing it from the outside because it, it does, it pulls those together. It's not that we're, we don't get to sub out the decision-making to say, well, the data did it, so I don't have to think about it. Uh, and in the same token, we don't just get to do whatever we want and disregard the data altogether. So I love the way that you've brought that together. Bringing it into one cohesive framework is so, so helpful for folks. Uh, now, there's a question that I have. I, I like to ask all of my guests this, and uh, it's this. What's the biggest secret you wish wasn't a secret at all? Well, what's that one thing that you wish everybody listening or watching today knew? Um, that high performance is truly accessible to anyone. You know, it doesn't matter what field you're working in. doesn't matter how experienced you are, how long in the tooth you are, or new to the game you are. High performance is just people who have followed a process. If someone else has done it, it's accessible to you. And if someone else has do it, you can do even better than that. If you can learn how to do it. People often focus a lot too much on what they want to achieve, but it's the how do you do it. Like, oh, I'd love some lessons from F1, and, and you know, I've watched F1, I love all the lessons that are there. How are you going to actually apply those to your situation? That's the, the gap that I'm trying to plug, and I think that's, yeah, it's accessible to everyone. That's so good, so good. So we've talked a lot about how you help uh, your clients and, and your driving performance, but I, I want to turn things around uh, just a little bit and have you take off your coach hat for a moment, put on your your CEO hat uh, and talk to us a little bit about your organization, next stage of growth and what challenges you think you'll have to overcome to get there. Yeah, the the growth of, uh, of my business is, is really about um, making sure that the offering that I have and, and uh, is hitting home. You know, when I, I've had some great engagements with people and I think I can build the offering to some wider businesses, maybe some, uh, it doesn't have to be big businesses, but I'm, I'm getting some great um, traction with big businesses where the approach is so scalable from an individual level all the way through to an organization level as well. And that's, um, that's my next stage is getting packages together that people can, um, can consume that's right for them. Um, and I, I think there's amazing opportunity for people to build common language in their organizations by having shared experiences and shared uh, growth. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a, it's about taking what I can do and, and offering it um, on a wider scale. Uh, I've also got you know contacts in some great um, technology companies as well who support that coaching with more offline. Uh, capabilities, you know, to sort of coach in your pocket and the apps that are there that can make people more accountable for their actions outside of the workshops and the programs and the and the the talks and the sessions. So trying to build that into a, a wider offering that people can make sustainable in their organizations. That's fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, again, I love the framework. I love what you do. And uh, just excited to see folks connect with that. So on that note, uh, you know, folks are listening and maybe they're feeling the infobesity creep in, or maybe they're saying, hey, we, we don't have the right data in the first place. We need help. Uh, uh, and so how can they find out more about you and the work that you do? Um, easiest thing to do is go to my website, which is paulteasdale.co.uk. And that's uh, Teasdale with a T-E-A-S. Uh, I'm sure it'll be in the the show notes there, but one of the first things you'll see there is the opportunity to just set up a free 30-minute chat with me. I, I love connecting with people. I love seeing what value I can add. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just trying to understand 
what value I can bring. And if people have got any questions, please just get in touch. Uh, reach out on LinkedIn as well. I'm always uh, interested to connect with people and see how I can help. That's fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on. Uh, uh, I had a chance to to check out Paul's website. He's got some great videos on the explain his process and how he helps. Uh, you will not regret it. So Paul, again, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, and for those of you listening, you're watching, you know your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.